Well, school is darn near letting out across a vast majority of the Commonwealth, so what better time than now to salute an exceptional educator for her hard work and dedication in the classroom. And this week, it is none other than Amanda Conrad. She is a special education teacher at Henderson County High School, and despite being so early in her teaching career, she has already made a tremendous impact on the lives of many students between her time spent in Madisonville and her current time spent in Henderson. Now, she didn't start right away into the track of education. She went into the working world, then went back to school, got that education degree, and then started teaching, which is definitely to be commended because they always say the longer you wait, the harder it gets. So kudos to her for that. We will find out about her journey, what gave her the inspiration to teach, we will find out about her favorite teachers, the highlights of her time spent in the classroom thus far, and of course, it's a given that we're going to get her advice for others seeking to perhaps follow in her shoes and become future educators. So, sit back for an educational Blabbit in the Bluegrass Season 5, Episode 20. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Eddyville to Edmonton, Urban to Irvington, nobody but nobody blankets the bluegrass quite like we do here on Blabbit in the Bluegrass as we thoughtfully and faithfully explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. I'm Sam Moore here at the one-of-a-kind, one-in-a-million North Quail Motel in Precious, Henderson KY. Now, as you may hear off and on in the background, we've got a random bug flying around the North Quail Motel at the moment. Maintenance hasn't quite gotten to him yet. It's still a few hours before they clock in, but uh, I guess Mr. Bug just wants to be a guest on my show, too, because bugs enjoy blabbing as well, don't they? Well, don't worry. <laughs> Mr. Bug's just gonna have to wait his turn. He may make himself heard, but for any formal introductions as a special guest, you know, his time may come if he plays his cards right. But, you know, we may have random bugs floating around here from time to time. But absolutely nothing random about today's special guest. She was chosen for a very, very good reason. Her name is Amanda Conrad. Like we told you, she is a special ed teacher at Henderson County High School. And she has already inspired countless students to perform at a high level in the classroom and no doubt she'll do the exact same for countless pupils down the road because she is very very early in her educational career and what impressed me most probably about Amanda Conrad is that she has maintained close relationships with a number of her former students even after they've parted ways in the classroom and you know there's Something to be said for that, because not only do all teachers not make as much effort as they probably should to keep tabs on their former students, but a lot of students don't want to maintain those relationships with their teachers. And it's great. Whenever you see that special student-teacher bond, it's something to be proud of, and it's definitely heartwarming. So we'll find out more about those tight-knit relationships that Amanda has formed and maintained as we go along, as well as many other aspects of her young but impressive teaching career thus far. And uh, before we get to Amanda, well, number one, we have a bluegrass brain buster. Number two, I want to remind you that we have no show next week, okay? We will not be blabbing next week, but use that time 
to get caught up, okay? And uh, lend an ear to all of those special guests that you haven't been able to yet to this point. All of my previous shows are readily available via the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. And if you're subscribed to the show via one of the podcast directories, which we'll go through at the end of the program. But if you're subscribed through one of those, you're in good shape there too. And you can access any or all shows that you may have missed via those outlets. But we've got a Bluegrass Brain Buster now. We try to do one of these at the beginning of each and every program. We will give you the question at this point. You can think on it while you listen to Amanda and I blab, and we will reveal the answer in the program's final segment. I want to know what are Kentucky's 10 most famous dishes. Yes, indeed. Kentucky's 10 most famous dishes. We revealed the uh, top 10 desserts, as I recall, in a show about a year or so ago, and uh, there is some overlap between that list and this list. Not much. And uh, some of these will surprise you. Some won't. But uh, I think you'll definitely find this list quite interesting. Again, it is a list of Kentucky's top 10 most famous dishes. And we will bring you that list at the conclusion of today's show. Keep it right where you've got it. Blabbing in the Bluegrass proudly presents an exceptional educator. Well, this week we have an exceptional educator. We haven't done one in a long time, but here we have a special education teacher from Henderson County High School. She was uh, born and raised in Henderson, a product of Murray State University's Henderson campus. And so we're going to ask her about uh, her experience in special ed and uh, get her advice for others seeking to perhaps follow in her footsteps. Let's give a nice warm welcome to the one and only Amanda Conrad. That was a rousing round of applause. Thank you, Sam. Well, we are uh, stoked to have you here. (laughs) Now, one of the reasons I had you on, Amanda, is because you play trivia, and I know you're used to answering questions. (laughs) I am. And being a teacher, I get lots and lots and lots of questions on any given day. So Yes, you do. I can imagine. Now, uh, yes, indeed, folks, Amanda and I actually met at um, Rock House on the River here in Henderson. Uh, She plays trivia. She and her team there. They're uh, about my most loyal team. The Nerds and Thirds is what they call themselves. And uh, anyway, I host a a few times a month. And Amanda has even uh, served as my co-host slash scorekeeper several times and been great. And, and, and sometimes she'll host. And for those that have not been to trivia at Rock House on the River, it's, it's fun times, isn't it, Amanda? It is a fun time, and they have never met a more dynamic duo than me and you, Sam. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it, <laughs> it ain't bragging if it's a fact, is it? True. <laughs> yes, indeed. So come on out, check out Trivia Monday nights at uh, 7 o'clock at uh, Rock House on the River here in Henderson. Shameless plug. Well, I've had Christy on here before, too, so <laughs> no no shame at all. But anyhow, Amanda, uh, <laughs> how, long, uh, how long have you been teaching at this point? This is my sixth year teaching. This is your so sixth? So not, not very long, longer than a few, not as long as others. Longer than a few, not as long as others. Well put, well put. But anyhow, most teachers... Today, Amanda will tell you that uh, they looked up to exceptional educators in school who uh, earned their respect and inspired them to achieve excellence. So uh, talk about some of your favorite teachers as a child and uh, tell me why they hold such a special spot in your heart. Let's see, you went to Cairo, did you not? I did. And just about all of those teachers that I had there, I remember all of them. I um, I had Miss Tracy Brown um, for kindergarten and fourth grade, um, and then I had Miss Ricketts for first grade, who I reconnected with later in life because my best friend's grandmother and Miss Ricketts are sisters or cousins; they're related somehow. So um, that's always nice to go back and see those teachers when you're an adult, and they look the same, and you don't. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, <laughs> And Miss Thomason was second grade. I had Miss Walters for third and fifth and Miss Hudson for sixth grade. So, I mean, that covers all of my years at Cairo. My teachers were excellent. And I, I really loved them all. Um, and then Miss Stevenson was a sub at Cairo quite a bit. And 
even though she wasn't our quote unquote real teacher and we weren't her quote kids, um, she was just really invested in us. And, you know, she would teach us German. And then I went to high school with, with her boys. And so I don't know, she just made a lasting impression on me. And then, uh, Mr. Tracy Stallings, he was in seventh grade, uh, actually asked to have lunch detention one time with a friend because we had FOMO and wanted to know what went on in there because we did not get in trouble. So we went in there for lunch one day and he sat and talked to us the whole time when we were supposed to be in, in detention because I don't know what made us ask him to let us go in there, but we did. Uh, well. And then my current boss, Mr. Ransom, was my seventh, eighth and 10th grade math teacher. And he's been my principal for the last four years now. So um, How about that? It's nice to, yeah, that's ten. kind of, that's <laughs> come full circle. So that's nice. Yeah, so you had him for a teacher on three different occasions. And not only that, uh, he's, your, he's your boss now, and he was also your boss at uh, Madisonville North Hopkins High School, wasn't he? He was, he was. See, so so I make the made... joke, I make the joke that um, I interviewed to come back to Henderson County. And then after I was hired at, at the high school, then he came over. So I was like, he followed me. He followed me over. He just didn't want to be anywhere else other than where you were. So <laughs> that's we'll go just, with that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go with that. But anyhow, I'll tell you, you are one of the few people I know that actually remembers all your teachers, kindergarten through sixth grade. I'll ask people who they had in like second and third to try to compare teachers. And they'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it helps that I had the same kindergarten and fourth and the same third and fifth. Yeah, that definitely that, does That help. does help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, anytime you have repeating teachers, that, uh, that definitely makes it easier. Let's see. I had, the I had the same teacher in person second. Becky Johnson, does that name ring a bell? As in the former North Middle School principal? Becky As Johnson? in the former North Middle School principal, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes I do know her. I do know her. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe everything she tells you, but I, I had her... Uh, <laughs> In the first and second grade for uh, for class, and those were those were fun years. Now, uh, Amanda, before attending college to become a teacher, I know that you spent a fair amount of time in the working world first. So, give us a sort of an overview of the the jobs you held, and explain what fueled your desire to pursue uh, an education degree. Ultimately, of course, I waited tables as a young adult. You know, that's kind of a rite of passage these days, I think. And sure. then I worked at Sherway Eastgate um, in the office. And then I moved to the city utility department. And I don't even really know what made me decide, hey, go be a teacher. But once I decided that I was going to go down that path, I knew I wanted to be an exceptional educator. Um, I have a cousin who has special needs and we've always been super close. I, we're only two weeks apart in age. She's two weeks older than I am. And I always call her my very first best friend. Um, so, you know, I really have a heart um, for the students that I give services to. Well, I'll say so. So, so uh, growing up in, in K-12 and during that time frame, it, it never really hit you the desire to, to become a teacher then. <laughs> it didn't. I thought about doing occupational therapy for a while. Um, and, you know, that's kind of in the realm of special ed or it can be if you, if you choose to go that way. But I'm not really sure why that didn't pan out. I um, got married and had my daughter and, uh, you know, then went to work for, I was working at Sherway when I had her and then I moved to the city and just, I, I don't, I'm not really sure what, what prompted me yeah. to enter the education world, but it honestly was the best decision um, professionally because yes. I love my job. And thanks to your cousin for, for the encouragement. Now, where did, where does she work, man? Just curious. She lives in Richmond, Virginia, actually, and um, I think she works at Bojangles. She's a cashier at Bojangles. She sparked the encouragement, though, so there's there's something to be said for that, definitely. Now, um, although you are uh, currently devoting your career to special education at the high school level, Amanda, you have also earned credentials to instruct outside of this realm, so talk to me, if you would, about the other areas slash age groups in which you're certified to teach? When I went through the Murray program um, through HCC, I got a dual certification. So I can actually teach K through um, K through five elementary education. 
Um, but I'm not the one they're looking for. I'm 2B. I have this eyebrow that goes up when I get annoyed and the little <laughs> kids don't respond very well to that. Um, so I'm much better suited to secondary. Uh, and then, I, of course, I have the K through 12 special education degree. And um, I also have my Zumba license so I can teach Zumba classes. How about that? And have you taught any Zumba lately? <laughs> uh, not lately. I have not. It's been, I just got back into that and renewed my certification. But um, yes, okay. I do have that license as well. <laughs> oh, no. High, high school does keep you busy for a, a high percentage of the year. So <laughs> it's not like you <laughs> had uh, a whole bunch of time to dwell on that. <laughs> when you say mean, are you one of those that, uh, you know, if it was still legal to paddle students, you'd be the one with the constant paddle in your hand? No, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I'm, I like to think of myself as firm, but fair. And I'm the same firm with all of my groups of students. Um, I don't waver. Like my rules are the same for every group. Yeah. My rules are the same for every individual. And my rules are the same no matter where I am in the building. So if I'm covering a class or I'm in the hallway, those expectations and rules are set in our building for a reason and I hold my students to those expectations and rules and they kind of look at me sometimes nobody's gonna know if you break that rule you know what I will know I will know that I broke the rule and I'm not gonna let you break it either if I wouldn't break it you're not gonna break it and I'm grown yes. so you know I'm I say I'm mean but I'm yeah, you, I you have just, high expectations for my kids for sure yeah yeah exactly you just talk in a way that that makes them listen right <laughs> yes loudly yeah talk loud yes loudly yes indeed <laughs> that's what it's all about now how long uh, how long did it take you to complete that that program at murray state there amanda the actual education program at murray is two years um so i did a year part-time at hcc and then did two years of my pre-education classes where i had to get some um like pedagogical math and things like that. Um, I think I said that word right. Math and, and reading classes done. And then I went on to take the Murray State classes. So it took it took four and a half-ish years for me to get through the whole thing because I started very slowly. Uh, but once I got in at full-time, I quit working at the city uh, building and went in full-time and it took two years after that. There you go. And it, it flew by too, I'm sure. But, it did. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's been that long you know, it's been eight and a half years since I started that program. And it's crazy to think that, you know, I was only 30 when I started doing that. It's very, it's, it's strange. How about them apples? Yeah, you've been teaching for, um, for six years. So let's see, you completed that program in 2016. Or was it 20? Was it, it was 2015. Yeah, okay, 2015. yeah. 2015. I guess that's true. No. Six, but yeah, uh, this is my sixth year teaching. So I think I finished in 2015. You know, Sam, I don't yeah. even remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that just happened. <laughs> all the years kind of run together sometimes. But anyway, somewhere around there, you you got the degree and that's all that matters. But uh, yeah, somewhere. Anyway, of the, uh, of the teaching avenues that... Uh, that you considered and explored, Amanda, what ultimately influenced your decision to focus on special education? Like I mentioned earlier, I have a cousin who has special needs um, and, and we're very, very close. And I attended some special Olympics events with her and it was just so special. And those memories will always be with me. I, um, we went to a cheer competition and those kids just cheer for everybody. They, you know, they don't care who's on the floor. They don't care. They've never met any of those people before in their lives, they cheer louder for the other teams than they do for their own. It's, it's crazy that camaraderie that, that strangers have. Um, and it just really touched my heart. But um, as I got into practicum hours in my classes and saw some of the needs that our kids have, it really just tugged at my heart and made me realize that I could be an advocate for those students that don't have the support they need at home for whatever reason. Um, and when a student you see for a few days in a row when you're doing practicum where I subbed a lot and you're, you're subbing and they get excited to see you back in, in their classroom and you're just an education student or a substitute, you just know that that's what you're, where you're supposed to be. Um, and when I subbed it a lot, I subbed at the high school and there would be students that would come find me if they knew I was in the building. Um, and I subbed for one particular group of kids from the time they were freshmen until they graduated and they kind of became my kids. 
Um, and I still have relationships with those students now. And, you know, they, they graduated in 2016. So just as a sub creating those, those relationships with those kids, when I was just kind of sporadically in their lives, imagine what I can do with a kid over the course of a year or four years. If I, if I see them every day in the high school building, even if I'm not their teacher. Yeah, exactly. Gosh, those kiddos that you formed bonds with when you were subbing, gosh, they're, like you said, they're kind of like part of your family now, aren't they? I know it's a different world, but you know, you go out and you see these kids and they're grown up and they're having babies and, and I'm not old, Sam, I'm not, but no, they, I, I they do not, they not. do not make me feel young when I see them having babies already. Like, <laughs> yes, I, I know how old you are and that is not old. So yeah, no, not old at all. <laughs> yes, indeed. So plenty, plenty of years ahead of uh, you and me both if we play our cards right. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Amanda, um, where was it that you landed your very first job in education after graduating from Murray State Henderson campus? I was at James Madison Middle School in Madisonville my first year. James Madison and Madison. I know it was one of the Madisonville Middle Schools. Couldn't remember which one. But anyway, yeah, uh, if you would uh, talk about the the most rewarding aspects of of this position, along with maybe some of the biggest uh, challenges that you faced in uh, becoming acclimated to the full time teaching world. You know, middle school is just such a different world. Uh, these kids are really trying to figure out who they are, and they're finding their people. And at that point, I was still trying to figure out who I was as an educator and walking that line between being an authority figure for them, but also being someone they could trust and confide in without blurring the line between teacher and friend, which is a very fine line because sometimes they get carried away and they cross that line and you have to be like, hold up, I'm still your teacher. You can't, we can't go there. No. <laughs> please, t please tell me things, but hold some back. Like, I, you know, we're, we're not, we're not besties, even though I love you. Um, but, I love you, but not in that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not your mama. You can call me your school mama if you want to, but don't don't tell me everything you would tell your mama because right. <laughs> we're, we're not there yet. No. Um, but all the education classes and the practicum hours and the student teaching could not have prepared me for all the paperwork that comes with being a special education teacher. Um, I, you know, you see it, but you don't, you're not really in it. And I was lucky at James Madison to have an amazing building coach, David Taylor, who helped me navigate all of that. And he would often find me plopped in his office with my laptop asking him, what the heck am I supposed to do? Because I, I didn't know. And some of the stuff he did for me. So when I moved to a different school, I was like, I really do know how to do my job. I just didn't know that I did this because David Taylor did it for me. Um, right. And, and I learned very quickly that they ain't lying when they say there's no tired like teacher tired because you come home your first full month after you get in the swing of things and you just fall asleep in the chair and it happens more often than I care to admit. Yes. My mama can relate. <laughs> but anyway, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, she, she was a, a teacher all those years too. And, uh, but it was great that you had such a, you know, a great sidekick, shall we say, and, and David Taylor. Now, did you work with um, all the middle school age groups, six, seventh and eighth? When you were at James I had Madison? eighth graders. Okay. I had eighth graders at James All Madison. Right. So you had eighth graders at James Madison, and uh, that was your that was your starting point. You began the next chapter of your teaching career at uh, Madisonville North Hopkins High School, and uh, shaping the minds of those students. So after uh, after getting started at the middle school level, um, tell us what sparked your interest in spreading those wings and transitioning to high school instruction, Amanda? Well, I was at James Madison for one year, but Mr. Ransom reached out and said I should apply for the open position at Madisonville North, and I was there for two years. Um, and since I taught eighth grade at James Madison, I sort of followed them to North, and it was a great move for me and for them because I was a familiar face for them in that new environment, and they were my, they were my first group of babies. So, you know, I got to be with them and, and see them over the next two years um, while I was with them. And every teacher remembers their first class of kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I believe it, definitely. And so you got to watch those kids when you followed a lot of them to the high school. You got to see them grow and mature sort of right before your eyes, didn't you? 
I did. Um, and so, you know, several of them would show up in my classroom in the morning as freshmen and they'd be like, can you help me with my homework? Or they would just vent or they would just want to sit and hang out with me or tell me about their life or whatever. And then um, when they were sophomores, I actually had some of them in class again. And it was super easy because I knew what to expect from them. And they also knew what to expect from me. Um, so that cut down on some sophomore shenanigans because they knew that not to even try <laughs> because they knew I wasn't going to put up with it. So exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> they knew don't start when, none won't be none. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then when I left there, um, so many of them asked me if I would be back to watch them graduate. And of course I wasn't going to miss that. Um, they only get five tickets each for graduation because they hold that in their gym. And one student messaged me and said that he saved me one of his tickets. Oh, so I went last year um, to watch them graduate and all my little grown up babies walked across the stage and I may have cried a little and, you know, sure. <laughs> now they're out in the world and I see them on social media and I tell oh, them all the time how proud I am of them and they're, they're still my little babies. That's awesome. Yes. And they will, they will always be your babies, even when they're 80. So they will. So that, it's, it's so nice that that kid saved you a, a ticket there to his graduation and kids tend to, you know, you, you notice quite a bit of maturity at certain times between kids, ninth, 10th and 11th grade year when they, when they hit that middle school age, uh, that's what Michael Paul always referred to as the icky age. <laughs> I'm telling you that particular child that saved me a, a graduation invitation. I actually met him when he was in sixth grade because I had, I was doing practicum hours at James Madison and the difference in this child from sixth grade, even to sophomore year when, when I left is, was just incredible. And now he's in the military. He wants to become a police officer in Madisonville when he gets out of the military, which is something I never saw him doing that is not a path that I saw him going down um and I, I'm just and he I'm just so 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 proud of him and I tell him all the time how proud I am of him and um you know he's like you always were my school mom and unfortunately his parents weren't super supportive of him I, you know he didn't have a, a huge support system at home so right that's the part of my job that I really like because if I could have that relationship with just one student a year I mean, you know, if I teach for 30 years, that's that's 30 kids that I make an impression on. So I think that's pretty special. Yeah, that makes it worth it. That, and just to think that uh, that kid came such a long way and, and you had a hand in that. <laughs> Maybe a little. Yes, exactly. Well, not just a little. Don't sell yourself short. But uh, anyway, over the better part of these past several years, Amanda, you've been uh, privileged to hold the faculty position at uh, your alma mater and my alma mater, Henderson County High School. And besides its convenient location, less than a mile from, from your home, uh, describe what excites you most about teaching at Henderson County High School on a daily basis. You know, we say once a colonel, always a colonel. And mm -hmm. that is so true for me. Uh, when I came and interviewed, I said, this, this feels like coming home. Um, and it's, it's just, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what else to say about it other than it does feel like coming home. But now it's, you know, I work with teachers that I had as a student, um, just a couple are left. Um, and that's, that's really kind of weird actually for me because some of them have my kid in class and it's, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's very strange. Um, so that's come full circle. But I also like seeing kids of people that I've known since Cairo days. And I see their faces and I'm like, who's your mama? Yeah, I know her. Don't make me call her. And then, they, <laughs> then they straighten up real quick, don't they, if they're misbehaving? <laughs> for a bit, for a bit. For, for a bit. Yes, indeed. But it's fun to have, you know, kiddos of the people that that you went to school with and, you know, work with teachers that that you had. And, can, and I tell you, in your particular position, you're sort of, you're not in one confined location. You're sort of all over the building throughout the day, aren't you? Well, since we moved everybody around and now our departments are together, um, I do have a, a co-teach biology class first thing in the morning. And then I go upstairs in the blue unit and my co-teacher is actually just right across the hall from me. So last year, um, well, last year was COVID. So we were kind of on a different schedule. But my first year, I was all over the building. I was in blue, red, green, everywhere. 
Um, so <laughs> you were last everywhere. year I was everywhere too, but uh, you know, it, we only had four classes a day. If we had had seven classes a day, I probably would have gotten 20,000 steps going from upstairs blue all the way to the back of 100, back to green, back to red, back up to blue. Uh, but this year I don't get nearly as many steps because I'm just walking right across the hall. <laughs> yeah, as big as that school is one end to the other. In fact, I think I heard it's like uh, if you were to truly walk from one end to the other, it's almost a quarter of a mile. I think I heard that somewhere. But uh, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. But anyway, so you're you're basically in the blue unit now, which at least uh, saves you a lot of steps, and it helps you to develop a a nice rapport with the with your co-teacher too, doesn't it? True, it does. Yes, indeed. Now, who is this co-teacher? Um, I teach biology with Stacy Thomas, and then I teach um, algebraic data and measurement with Crystal Weber. Okay, gotcha. So Crystal and Stacy, I've heard I've heard. Um, at least one of those names, Stacy. But it goes without saying that uh, special ed instruction varies greatly from traditional instruction. So discuss, if you would, the most notable differences between special ed teaching and um, regular classroom teaching. We mentioned one of them was, you know, you, you know, in years past, you've been kind of all over the building. You're, you're more confined now, but um, you work with smaller groups too, don't you? Yes, I do have resource classes, um, and that's just those students who need that smaller group instruction or they need more intense one-on-one -on -one instruction, um, and it's also a slower pace for them, too, um, and I have, the, I have the freedom to cut things out that I think might be too difficult for them to understand and might just frustrate them, um, so that's sure. a big component of it, but unfortunately, behavior is a very big difference between students that receive special education services and those that don't. Oh, sure. Um, that doesn't mean that students who don't receive services don't have behavior problems in their classrooms, but it's much less frequent, um, it seems, because I think a lot of that stems from students overcompensating for their academic struggles. So they act out so they can mask the fact that they don't understand the task they're given or the content of the particular class. And, you know, they they call attention away from the fact that they're not doing the work like everyone else is. Um, maybe if they're required to read and if they get a reader and they don't want to put that earbud in and have something read to them, you know, right. um, and of course grades, grades suffer some and it it's some of it is lack of effort and some of it is lack of understanding. Um, they try to do it on their, on their own at home or they try to do it in the classroom and they don't or can't and then they don't turn it in. So those are missing and their grade suffers. Um, but we, we kind of address those things on an individual basis. Right. Um, now, uh, now those resource groups that you mentioned, about how big are they on average? Um, we can't have more than 10, uh, but okay. I have three, I have three this year. So I have four in two classes and then three in another, in a third class. Four and two and three and a third. And you work with um, you work with some students in the regular classroom too, right? Just give them extra help. Yes. Um, so the students that are in my co-teach classes, some have IEPs and some do not. And um, they have two teachers in there just to offer that extra support. And then I have kids um, that are pulled if we take a test so they have a quiet environment or if they get extended time um, so they can use the whole class period or... Um, if they have that reader in science, I read the test to them. So there you uh, go. That, there's that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so we talked, so your, your, um, your focus subject, shall we say, yeah, within the realm of special aid, I've noticed that, uh, you know, most people do focus on uh, particular areas of content and yours are uh, math, like you said, and chemistry, correct? Well, I taught chem, I co-taught chemistry for two years. Um, and now I'm with sophomores, so I have biology. Ah, gotcha. See, I knew chemistry. <laughs> you know, you, you use chemistry in, in a sentence multiple times at Rock House Trivia. So I knew <laughs> I knew you yeah. had it in your background there. So a little bit. <laughs> anyway, so now it's biology. And of course, uh, of course, you still have the uh, the math there. Now, which uh, which math classes do you teach? I have algebraic data and measurement, which is kind of a, a made up class just because when the state decided that students need to have math all four years, um, they changed those requirements because when I was in school, you had 
algebra one as a freshman, geometry as a sophomore, and then algebra two as a junior. Right. And then senior year. year, you didn't have a math math class. Yeah, unless um, you wanted but, one. <laughs> right. But now that you have to have four, they kind of created this interim math class. And it's all the things put together, really. It's it's algebra one. We've got some geometry things in there. Uh, we've got some algebra two. And, it, um, and of course, we've got some data studies in there where they they do some um, data research and they I do gotcha. a data project. All right. So algebra data measurements, you get you get plenty of numbers and plenty of shapes. You get you get the mixed bag. <laughs> yes, you get some of everything. everything. A little bit of everything in the kitchen sink. Well, <laughs> that's cool stuff. Uh, well, not 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 if you're in there trying to pull it off, I guess. It may not be so much fun. But <laughs> no, I'm I'm such I'm such a math nerd. I tell the kids, I'm like, math is the best subject. And they're always no, Miss Conrad. Math is so <laughs> bad. And I'm like, guys, you're hurting my feelings right now. Math is the best. And so oh, you know, and, gosh. and I think that's that's why I liked chemistry so much, is because chemistry is a lot of math. Sure. Um, and I'm actually studying to take my chemistry praxis um how are you so, yeah oh, take cool. that on saturday <laughs> let's see how it goes this saturday goes. well well our our thoughts will be with you but just think how much more miserable those kiddos would be in math if uh, they didn't have miss conrad as a teacher so i mean and they didn't have the biggest hype man for math as their teacher because that is me yes exactly <laughs> and so in geometry is my favorite math I'm that kind of nerd I have a favorite math and that's what they'll have next year so I'm like you guys you're about to get ready get ready for the best math you're about to be in geometry it's the best yeah exactly believe me <laughs> and your and your excitement is uh at least halfway contagious no doubt but uh they don't believe me at all oh <laughs> you'll you'll convince them eventually now uh in order to effectively serve individuals with special needs you must first determine what these needs may be now we briefly touched on um, the IEP which also stands uh, for individualized education plan uh, a few minutes ago but let's expand on that and describe the process of assessing your students needs along with the uh, the manner in which you devise a plan to accommodate them well year to year we use teacher input um, class assignments, state assessments um, to decide what standards-based goals we choose for a particular student. And we use that student's strengths and weaknesses or concerns in any given subject area if they have a goal in that area. Um, and then we monitor those goals that we set with classwork or probes or like mini assignments that are specific to the goal set in their IEP. And then every three years, they're either reevaluated or they um, are have their eligibility records reviewed to ensure they still qualify for services and that they're getting those proper services. Uh, a lot of my focus this year in particular has been using their resources to complete an assignment independently instead of it completing it as a group or instead of coming to me, can you help me with this question? And they want me to work through every single problem with them, especially in math. Um, sure. After, after I'm finished teaching and I'm I'm kind of walking around and seeing what they're doing. They'll sit and some of them will wait for me. But use your notes. We just <laughs> did this together. Talk through it to yourself, just like we talked through it up there. And you've got it written out right days, in front of you. <laughs> I know. Especially on quiz days, they want they want to ask me how am I doing this right on every single question? And my response is have faith in yourself. You know how to do this. We just did it. You yes. answer all the questions aloud when we do it together. You've got this. Go <laughs> sit down. <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm sure, some, sometimes they probably even have like open note quizzes too, don't they? Always in my class, I let them use their notes. Um, and honestly, in, in Ms. Weber's classes, they, they have every resource available to them when they take a quiz. Um, they have formula sheets. They have calculators. They have their notes. And if they don't get completed notes, there are copies of completed notes on Google Classroom. They have a copy of the completed review on Google Classroom that they can use on all their quizzes or tests. Uh, you know, so if they don't do those, if they don't complete those resources on their own, they are there for them to use. And some of them still don't use them, which is crazy to me because I feel like I remember when I was in school, we weren't allowed to have a calculator on test. 
No. You you either knew how <laughs> to do always. it or you didn't know how to do it. Yeah, and there was no in between. Do it, <laughs> you better be good at guessing because there was yes, no indeed. there was no other way. <laughs> so other than holding their hand and, and, and guiding them through the problems all the time, they <laughs> they have what they need. <laughs> they just they do. They just need to learn when to use it and how to use it. And that's, <laughs> that's your goal with them. I know to, exactly. to help them out there. And, um, and like you said, that IEP is, uh, adjusted at the end of, uh, of every school year, isn't it? It depends on when their meeting is. So, um, a lot of them are, the meetings are in the spring because when they transition from eighth grade to high school, we have a transition meeting and that date is good for a, a year. It's actually good for 364 days. Um, so we have to meet the day before that IEP expires. So most of them are in the spring, but then you'll get a few sprinkled throughout the fall too. Okay. So <laughs> spring and fall both, you have uh, at least a few IEP meeting sessions. Well, uh, anyhow, uh, what are you most proud of thus far, Mrs. Conrad? And we touched on this briefly earlier, but what are you most proud of when reflecting on your time spent fostering the growth and, uh, and maturity of students in your six years? I mean, I don't think I'm the best teacher out there by any means, but it, it is always reassuring when you have those relationships you've created with former students that last after they leave school and enter the world. Um, you know, I talked about the kid that saved me the graduation invitation and um, yes, indeed. <laughs> you know, I awesome. feel like I feel like that's a lasting relationship for me. And then, um, you know, some students that just now just graduated this past year, they reach out to me all the time and just want to tell me about their life. And it's so funny because they don't just text me. They want to FaceTime me all the time. So they want to see you and hear your voice. <laughs> I guess. And so, you know, sometimes I have one girl that um, she actually just cut my hair last weekend. She'll, she will FaceTime me. And I know if she FaceTimes me that something has happened. You, you know that something's come up and, and she wants you to help her work through it. <laughs> yes, because I hit the button and she says, Miss Conrad, and then a big story is coming. So, oh, goodness. Now, does she regularly cut your hair? <laughs> she cut it for the first time. Um, she's actually in school at T Spa. She graduates in July. So, uh, oh, okay. Closer to graduating, I would let her cut my hair. <laughs> so she's she's testing her skills on you. <laughs> well, but better you than me because I don't have much hair to cut. But, <laughs> but anyway, Amanda, this has been great. I have sure had a blast. Now, last but not least, before we split here, I want to know what advice you would offer to those in our audience aspiring to pursue a career in special education, or for that matter. Just education in general. Definitely don't go in thinking it's all summer off and mid-year breaks. Um, that's an amazing perk, but that's not even close to the best part. Uh, we don't become teachers because we want all the recognition in the world for what we do. Because let's face it, we get a lot of flack, especially since COVID came in. No. But we truly are teaching the future leaders of our community and and maybe even our country. Um so I would suggest talking to some teachers before you decide, especially teachers you don't know personally or didn't have in school and get as many perspectives, good and bad as you can before you really decide. Um, I love my job, but I'd be lying if I said I leave the building every day with my cup full because sometimes I pour into these kids for days without getting anything back from them. But when they do take their attention off themselves for a few seconds to show some appreciation. It lasts a long time because you know they truly mean it. When when a teenager says, you're my favorite teacher or I love you or gives you that hug or even if they just confide in you something, you know that you're in the right place and that you're supposed to be in their lives. And that goes a long way because oh, sure. I, don't, I don't feel like teenagers open up to adults, especially not teachers or any authority figure very often. Right. So yeah. when that happens, it's quite special. 
Yeah, so they're, they're, they kind of pick and choose who they open up to. You're right. But, but yeah, yes, definitely learn the pros and cons. Talk to, to people in the field. You know, everybody's got to learn some stuff through the School of Hard Knocks. But, uh, you know, the more you talk to people, the more you learn, the fewer curveballs you'll be in for. <laughs> When, that is the uh, truth. when the time comes and you're not lying about summer school that really is um you know growing in popularity nowadays isn't it yes yes it is you know it's not always by choice but a lot of people take it and it's you know more and more commonplace in in every school system but uh anyhow well uh amanda this has been a great time for me i hope it's been a great time for you it has thank you for having me sam well thank you a lot and we will see you at rock house we will. Gotta love it. Amanda Conrad. Now she is fixing to enjoy her summer vacation just as most other teachers across the Commonwealth are. You know, May 23rd, this coming Monday, that's the last day for students in the Henderson County Schools. Now teachers, their last day is undoubtedly a day or two later. But at any rate, we hope Amanda enjoys her summer as well as all of the, uh, the other exceptional educators out there and if you'd like to nominate an exceptional educator of yours we certainly welcome you to do so bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com is my email address b-l-u-e-g-r-a-s-s-b-l-a-b-b-i-n at gmail.com let me know about that teacher or those teachers in your life who meant the world and uh, we will do our best to to get them the honor and the spotlight that they so rightfully deserve. Also, use that email address to let me know about the other potential show topics and ideas that you have. As long as they are connected to Kentucky, I'm more than proud to consider them for a potential show features. So, you keep those in mind. Don't be shy about uh, passing along that information. I love nothing more than, uh, than hearing from my listeners. And by the way, we were talking about uh, trivia, Amanda and I were. That's how we met, of course. And uh, if you're bored on Monday nights, even if you're not bored for that matter, make sure that you come on out to Rock House on the River in Henderson uh, each and every Monday at 7 p.m. I host Rock House Trivia a few times a month, and uh, Amanda's been known to do it with me from time to time, and it's just a, a, a great experience. Everybody's sort of become family, at least among those of us that are there uh, almost every week. And I mentioned Christy. That's Christy Osborne. She is the owner of Rock House on the River, and I was privileged to have her on the show way back in Season 1, talking about the pizza and strombolis and wings, everything else they're famous for. So if you missed that, go, uh, go back into the archives, hear that episode and uh, get an idea of the menu before you come to see us at Rock House Trivia. And I guarantee you, you'll like what you hear and you'll like what you taste once you get there, okay? So quick reminder, we won't be here next week. We will not be blabbing. We will come your way yet again on June the 1st. It just so happens that the first Wednesday of next month is also the very first day of the month of June. So that'll be... Our next podcast, make sure you're here and use next week to go back and hear Christy Rockhouse on the River on the the Blabbing in the Bluegrass episode one. Episode, actually, it wasn't episode one. It was season one. I don't remember what the episode number was, but I can narrow it down as far for you as season one. So that'll narrow your search a little bit and <laughs> make it easier to find. But uh, make sure you listen to her along with any of the other guests that you've missed since we started blabbing in the bluegrass and I guarantee you you're gonna enjoy that experience and uh you know I have all my people on here for a, a good reason I, that means I really think a lot of them and I think you will too so definitely they are all worth listening to and uh, you owe it to them to uh, give up your your time and uh, your ears for a few minutes to hear what they have to say so before we wrap this thing up we have the Long-form Bluegrass Brain Buster. This is a, a bit of a, a long one today, but it's interesting because we got a top ten, just like uh, David Letterman used to have. I miss those top tens. But anyway, we've got one for you now. These are the ten most famous Kentucky dishes. And if you disagree with this list, don't blame me. This is a list compiled by thespruceeats.com. Kentucky's ten most famous dishes. We're going to count them down for you from... Number 10 all the way to number 1. At the bottom of our top 10, we have Kentucky Butter Cake. That falls at number 10. This buttermilk pound cake bakes in a bunt or a two-cake pan, and after baking, it is poked all over with a skewer and a sweet butter sauce, 
is drizzled over it, adding extra moisture and even more butter flavor. Now, doesn't that sound mighty fine? Kentucky Butter Cake is our number 10. At number 9 on our list of Kentucky's most famous dishes is the Hot Brown Sandwich. Now, as most of you know, that is served open face, and uh, it includes layers of turkey, cheese, and uh, bacon piled high on toasted bread. It was created by Mr. Fred K. Schmidt way back in 1926. He was chef at Louisville's Brown Hotel at the time, hence the name Kentucky Hot Brown, and that falls at number nine. At number eight on our list of the most famous dishes in the Commonwealth is Burgoo. Now, I hear a lot more about Burgoo in the western part of the state than I do the uh, the central or the east. But anyhow, some say, as far as its name, it came from the French, as in Bergenon. I hope I pronounced that right. But others claim it was named after a, uh, let's see, an oatmeal porridge. An oatmeal porridge eaten by the British sailors as early as 1700. How about that? Now, while early burgoos were made with game meats and birds or whatever they had available, most bowls of burgoo today include beef and uh, poultry along with a variety of vegetables. And it's made a little differently everywhere, I can tell you. And, uh, you know, even different states surrounding Kentucky, they had their own versions of it a lot of times. In fact, right across the river from me in Evansville, they have what's called burgo. And some people call it burgoo, but it's a little different. As it's pronounced differently, it's generally made differently. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's uh, It varies region to region, but uh, in my neck of the woods, it's certainly quite popular. And a lot of schools use it for uh, fundraisers as well, for uh, different things they got going on within the building. But anyway, burgoo is at number eight. Number seven is Owensboro Mutton Barbecue. Now, how fitting is that? Because we just talked about the Owensboro Barbecue Block Party on the show a few weeks back, and we hope that uh, all of you had a chance to go because the weather turned out to be nice for the vast majority of the weekend. But anyway, uh, Owensboro is most certainly famous for its mutton, and two of the uh, most historic and most famous barbecue places in Owensboro to get mutton are uh, Old Hickory and Moonlight Barbecue, in case you didn't know that already. And uh, they both offer not only great-tasting mutton, but also beef, pork, and chicken. But, uh, yes, indeed, Western Kentucky, particularly Owensboro, is uh, most certainly famous for its mutton. And we like people from all different parts of the state, but you go to other parts of the state and you ask for mutton, and... Uh, some people will look at you like they've never heard of it. But uh, it's mainly an Owensboro and uh, Western Kentucky thing. And go to Owensboro, you're going to get the uh, the cream of the mutton crop. That's for sure. Number six on our list of most famous Kentucky dishes is according uh, as compiled by the SpruceEats.com. It's bourbon balls. Now, 95% of the world's bourbon comes from this great commonwealth. This sweet and slightly boozy bourbon ball is uh, similar to a rum ball, but with unmistakable Kentucky spirit, which comes from the bourbon. Now, we've uh, featured lots of uh, great places to get bourbon balls in uh, past episodes, most notably from Lexington, the Ruth Hunt Candy Company. Actually, Ruth Hunt is uh, based in Mount Sterling. That's where the faculty is. The faculty. The uh, factory. <laughs> That's where the factory is. Now, they do have a store in Lexington as well, but those two places, you know, you can't go wrong with bourbon balls from Ruth Hunt. And, of course, naturally, a lot of the uh, bourbon distilleries throughout the state sell bourbon balls. So, you know, plenty of access to great bourbon balls, and make sure you stock up on Ruth Hunts when you're in the ballpark. You will not be disappointed, that's for sure. Number five on our list is Kentucky Bread Pudding with Bourbon Sauce, the formerly a favorite during Sunday brunch at uh, the Harrodsburg Baymont Inn, and uh, I assume that's still a favorite, perhaps, when you go on Sunday brunch. I've not been, so somebody's going to have to tell me if they still serve that. <laughs> I know in the olden days it was a favorite during Sunday brunch, and I you know, wouldn't put it past them to, to still serve it if it was so popular. But anyway, that was uh, you know, one of the, uh, the most popular places to get it early on, and it can be topped with a whiskey sauce 
or a non-alcoholic sauce, but the bourbon makes it pure Kentucky goodness. So, uh, Kentucky bread pudding with bourbon sauce. That comes in at number five on our list. Number four is southern wilted lettuce or kilt lettuce. Now, this will bring back memories for those of you who uh, grew up in the Appalachian Mountains of eastern Kentucky. Uh, kilt lettuce salad is made with a hot tangy vinegar and bacon grease dressing, and it's comparable to a southern-style spinach salad. But now the hot bacon dressing will quote-unquote kill the lettuce, so you must be sure that you hold off on adding the salad dressing until just before serving it, or it's going to kill that lettuce. Keep that in mind if you're uh, preparing it. Number three is Kentucky Benedictine Spread and Dip. Now this was created by Mrs. Jenny Benedict, who is a former caterer, and household editor for the Louisville Courier Journal, and it typically is made with uh, cucumber juice and cream cheese along with onion juice and a few drops of green food coloring. Now, it's great as an appetizer at parties, but can also be chilled and spread on sandwiches. So it's versatile. You know, it has many different purposes, and that is Kentucky Benedictine Spread and Dip. At number two on our list is the Mint Julep. Here again, our focus not long ago was on Mint Juleps, as they are commonly served in affiliation with the Kentucky Derby. And uh, as if you didn't know, it's a, a, a sweetened Kentucky cocktail. Now, the classic Mint Julep is made with bourbon, but these may also be made with whiskey in other states. And uh, frosted silver-plated and pewter cups originally contained the mint juleps, but nowadays these drinks are most commonly served in highball glasses. And at number one on our list of the top 10 most famous dishes in Kentucky, according to thespruceeats.com, it should come as no surprise to any of you, Kentucky Derby Pie. And again, how fitting is that since we just finished the fastest two minutes in sports? And I know that I don't have to tell any of you that this is a combination of chocolate chips and walnuts in a sweet, buttery filling made with a splash of bourbon for great local touch in some cases. Now, the original Derby Pie was concocted by the uh, folks at the Walter and Lodra's Melrose Inn. I hope I pronounced that right. The Walter and Lodra's Melrose Inn in Prospect, which of course is a suburb of Louisville. This was during the 1950s, but uh, the uh, the most famous current version of the Derby Pie is uh, made, or among the most famous versions of the Derby Pie is the uh, one concocted by Kern's Kitchen in Louisville, and I know they always whip up a ton of them during Derby season, and uh, not to mention my former guest recently, Alicia Hardison from Delicious Desserts, in Owensboro, she makes a pretty mean Derby pie every year, and I know she always sells out of it on Derby weekend, in case you missed it. Uh, delicious desserts, they uh, sell every weekend, every Saturday to be exact, at the Owensboro Farmer's Market, so you can uh, stock up on her other stuff the rest of the year and make your plans to get a Derby pie from Delicious Desserts come Derby weekend 2023. Order well in advance to ensure that you will get yours and uh, why not get one from Kern's Kitchen as well? So you can uh, support both people. And besides, you can never have too much Derby pie, right? Anyway, that's number one on our list. And there you have it. The top 10 most famous dishes in Kentucky as compiled by thespruceeats.com. We hope you enjoyed that list, even if you didn't necessarily agree with it. And uh, come on back in two weeks for more great blabbing as well as another Bluegrass Brain Buster. And uh, don't forget to like and follow the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page if you're not already doing so. All of my previous episodes are there, like we said. You can uh, stay up to date with teasers on future shows, which generally come out about once a week or so. Make comments, leave messages. I love hearing from you via the Facebook page as well. And don't forget, you can listen and subscribe 
to blabbing in the bluegrass without paying one thin dime via Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and or Verbal. All of those podcast directories are readily available, so easy to use, and couldn't be more affordable. They are absolutely free. So until we meet again in two weeks, play catch up and listen to shows that you missed the first time. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and most importantly, keep blabbing in the bluegrass. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.